so I'm going to talk again today about things I've seen this morning that are on my mind, stories around crypto. Uh, and uh, I'm going to first mention um, Meredith Angwin. She wrote Shorting the Grid, and I affectionately call her Grid Granny because of her age. <laughs> she wrote a really great book, and now she's released it on audio. So a lot of people have been tweeting about that. I don't know if I provided a link for, for that, actually, but her name is Meredith Angwin, A-N-G-W-I-N, and her book is great at explaining um, in layman's terms how our electric grid works, the structure of it, uh, even the physical, physical nature of it, um, but mainly it focuses on the policy side of different grid setups and especially focuses on um, regional transmission organizations, which is this deregulated type of grid. Uh, anyways, I recommend if you're interested in electricity and how our electricity, uh, our, our electricity is, uh, grid is managed, um, I recommend <laughs> either reading it or, or now you can buy the audio version of it. The next thing on my on my mind is this Bitcoin versus gold debate uh, between Pierre Rochard. It's hosted, I think, at the Mises Institute. Um, Pierre Rochard, pro Bitcoin, and Keith uh, Weiner um, for the gold, gold side. And the exact, I guess, debate um, is gold will remain an important form of money in the 21st century. That's the topic they will be debating on. Uh, so I'm going to tune into that. Um, and I have linked the live stream uh, in, the, in the notes. Let's see. The next thing I'll talk about is I watched the first episode of the Riot Blockchain documentary. I posted a link to that. And I have to say they have a very unique PR strategy here. And I'm assuming, you know, this is going to be one episode out of many that they release. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not going to only, you know, have such a narrow focus that they'll, they'll explain other things in later, later episodes. But it's very curious that their first um, episode, they basically interview worker bees, you know, not high up management, not the architects of the system. Um, but just just worker bees, and their um, their goal seems to be to generate a lot of goodwill to say, "Hey, uh, we're we're providing jobs, right? We've come into this community." And they mentioned this past big employer called Alcoa many many times about how this company laid people off, went out of business. Uh, I don't even know what this company does. They never explained it. But they explained that the community was sort of devastated by this massive employer who went out of business. And now, you know, we're uh, this riot company is doing a lot of goodwill because they are uh, providing jobs for these locals. And it went into a lot of their stories. Um, curiously enough, uh, they never really even mentioned Bitcoin, but maybe one time towards the end, which one guy said, you know, I feel good about my job. I think, you know, Bitcoin is going to be the future. And, you know, if you didn't know about Bitcoin, and I'm guessing a lot of these people who are interviewed, these average Joes who just work there, 
um, you know, plug-in machines or whatever, they don't know what Bitcoin is, but they see this high-tech uh, building, right, being built. And there's all these fancy machines and it looks like something out of the matrix. It looks futuristic, right? These machines are, you know, in this cooling liquid and it's, it's highly complex and complicated. You know, I've never visited a Bitcoin mine before, but it looks pretty complicated. I mean, they got to make sure all these machines are running. It looks like a scythe, something out of a sci-fi movie, very futuristic. So they're like, you know, if you work there and you're just an average Joe, you're thinking, oh, I'm a part of something really great, right? This must be really great. This must be the future. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I want to ask, I would, I would, you know, try to track down these employees of this riot um, documentary. And I would want to ask them, do you even know what Bitcoin is or can you describe it to me? And I would bet nine out of 10 people couldn't do so. <laughs> Uh, that's okay. Most people don't understand Bitcoin or don't even know what it is. Even people who have been around Bitcoin a long time, I would venture, uh, have, have a very um, <laughs> fuzzy understanding of what it actually is. But um, this, my problem with this riot video is that it's trying to evoke an emotional response from the viewer to say, hey, look, now these people get to have a good job. They're employed now. Right. They lost their job that the fa this factory apparently in, in Rockdale, you know, laid them off. Now they have riots to be thankful for to have a job. Um, but, you know, the question that I always ask is, is this is this company productive? Are they providing something useful? Are they going to be around in 10 years? <laughs> and that's a big if. Right. That's a really big if. Um, and, you know. On the whole, I'm happy for these people that they got jobs in their town, you know, hopefully well-paying jobs, uh, and that Riot seems to be taking care of the community. They seem to be, you know, donating to, you know, dog shelters was mentioned in the video. You know, they they hold like Christmas festivals, apparently was mentioned in the video. They try to give back to their community. And I'll just mention that I think that they do this, again, because no one understands Bitcoin, and they Riot... I've seen the guy that started Riot or the Winston facility that got bought by the public company now called Riot. I've seen this guy. I think his name is Chad. Uh, they call him Giga Chad. His name is Chad Everett Harris, I think. He actually goes to speak, you know, at different types of mining conferences. And he mentioned that when he's, the, you know, because people want to hear, how'd you, how'd you set this up? How'd you set up this huge facility? How'd you get approval from the local community? How'd you convince the local mayor? Yada, 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 right? And he says, I find that the best way to go and set up a mining company, like a big miner facility, is to not, if, not even explain Bitcoin. He says these are simple people, and he kind of is making fun of them, right? He's saying these are people that aren't you know, technologically on the cusp of anything. They're from a small town outside of Austin, Texas. It's about, I don't know, an hour and a half away, maybe. These people aren't around technology, right? And they're never going to, he basically said they're never going to understand Bitcoin. And the local people, the politicians aren't either. But what they do understand is like a big employer coming into town, right? And, and, and giving them jobs, right? So it doesn't really matter that this company is a Bitcoin mining company and what they do amounts to wasting energy. Now, 
I can argue with the Bitcoiner all day about this, whether that's a valuable waste or not. But I hope that the Bitcoiner would, would, would acknowledge that it is wasted because proof of work is proof of spent energy. So you are expending energy. This is not available. Bitcoin is not a battery, right? You're not being, you're not able to store this energy when you produce a Bitcoin, like a lot of the Bitcoiners like to say, especially like a Michael Saylor or even Abology <laughs> makes this reference. He might've been the first one to, to suggest this concept of Bitcoin being a battery, right? Which is just fundamentally not true. They often also say that the Bitcoin mining facility operates like a battery. This is also not true, right? Because the Bitcoin miner, when they participate in something called demand response programs through the electric grid operator, they're not storing energy, right? They're not, they're not storing energy for anybody. They're just not consuming it, right? They just basically sell power that they bought in the market at a low price. And then they're able to, by reducing their demand, right? There, there's this less demand on the grid, right? But the price is still very high during this type of an emergency. So they're able to profit by flipping energy they already bought, right? And then they're just saying, okay, we won't, we won't go into the market. We won't consume any more electricity. Um, but this is no way storing electricity. Uh, it's just never given to them, right? You know, unless this, this uh, miner is, I guess what they call maybe vertically integrated, or somehow they're actually producing power, a generator of power. But I don't think they are. I think that they have huge power contracts. And if that's the case, uh, the energy is never sent their way. Uh, they're not just storing energy to then later be released, right? So, um, but I, I do think that most Bitcoiners would, would push back on me saying it's proof of, of spent energy being sort of a waste. Um, but they don't want to focus on that. They want to focus on the riot strategy seems to be, let's focus on the jobs that we provide, maybe the tax revenue that they provide to, this, to the local community, because they basically say, you're never going to be able to explain Bitcoin to these people. But what they do see, you know, is a, a thriving community, right? Jobs for their citizens. And everybody wants to make their community happy, especially if you're, you know, a politician. So um, another guy mentioned this too. Um, I might have been Parker Lewis who said that uh, the way to introduce Bitcoin to a community, especially a Bitcoin miner, is, is not to try to explain Bitcoin right, to these local people, but, but just tell them what Bitcoin mining can do for them, right? provide them good jobs. And this is how they opened this riot documentary was focusing on, you know, stupid stuff like, well, how does our team get along together? And they were interviewing different people, you know, and they really wanted to showcase diversity too. That's a big thing they want to showcase. Oh, how are you getting along together? Why is that relevant to this particular company? It's just interesting. They tend to, they, they tried to focus on that. Then they, then they focused on, oh, the building, the building of this facility was so fast and they interviewed this plumber guy who said i worked on houses before never seen something this big go up this fast okay great maybe they were really efficient maybe they got the building permits that's cool but that's not that interesting um you know so they focused on the people they focus on the pr um they don't focus on um sort of this this wasted effort of 
what, what are all these computers in this cooling bath doing? Why are we spending all this power to, to power these computers? What are they actually doing? You know, what, what is going on here? <laughs> they don't want to mention that. They also don't want to mention um, anything about contributing to high electricity prices, right? Now, I'm sure in later videos, they're actually going to um, spin this, again, as another PR campaign to spin the Bitcoin miner as good for the residents of Texas, as good for the grid, right? Somebody that can um, power down and lower demand. And in theory, this is what's supposed to lower our prices. Well, then Riot needs to explain why prices still spike whenever they shut down, right? Whenever they shut down, why are prices still high? Now they're going to say, well, they'd be even higher if we were still consuming electricity. And Riot also says, well, if there's not electricity, you know, we're, we're coming here in, in droves, the Bitcoin miners, and um, we are encouraging more generators to come here too, alongside of us. Because if they know we're a buyer, you know, 24 seven, we're going to be mining Bitcoin and we need this much power, they'll, they'll be incentivized to come here. Well, the question is, why aren't they incentivized, which is normal people's demand? Why aren't they, why aren't, you know, and what types of generation are incentivized, right? Well, the type of generation that is incentivized by like a riot blockchain setting up shop uh, in Rockdale, and they're going to, they're out they're, they're, they're about to build, they're about to, to um, break ground, I think, another facility location, Corsica, I believe, Corsica County. So they're going to build another huge facility in Texas. This one, I think, maybe a little bit closer to Dallas. Um, but what, again, what generation are they incentivizing to come to Texas? Well, the kind that benefits Bitcoin miners. Look at what Bitcoin miners want. They want really cheap power, but they also want really expensive power. They want volatility, just like a Bitcoin trader or a crypto trader. The best thing about Bitcoin, right, uh, or crypto is that it's volatile, right? They like volatility. They can make money because they can buy low and they can sell high. Same thing with the Bitcoin miner, right? These Bitcoin miners want to buy uh, power cheaply, right? As cheap as they can. Uh, and they buy, you know, maybe for a whole year, who knows? but they try to lock in a really low rate. And then the nature of the grid, the type of generators that come onto our grid. And if you read, you know, um, Meredith Angwin's book, Shorting the Grid, you can understand this, but there's different types of generators. And the, the, um, the grid operator who dispatches these in a, you know, they have sort of an auction. It's not a complete free market, but they have an auction where they bid. Um, and in theory, that's how, that's who gets dispatched uh, to, the, to the grid. Um, but there's different types of generators and no one is responsible for providing reliable, cheap power to the grid. All they're doing is bidding on the next five minutes, day ahead, right? They're just trying to plan which resources will be available. Um, but there's nothing capping a price and there's, and because certain generators um, are beholden to weather, right. Or the sun um, affecting whether they can generate and they can never really predict this very far in the future. Uh, that means that certain generators just can't come online um, at a certain time. And, uh, or we have a weather event, you know, like Texas uh, 2021, 
where we had um, everything go out because there was a snowstorm. Uh, when that happens, prices spike because there's just not enough electricity for all the people that are demanding it. And there's, there's more reliable generators, thermal generation sources that you can predict easier. Yes, they go out and they fail too, uh, but they fail. Um, you, you can at least maintain uh, constant power more effectively than having to having this, this unreliable, you know, solar wind type uh, generation on your grid and everything, you know, everything else having to work around these, these types of generation. But the Bitcoin miners, if they're just interested in their own pocketbook, you know, if I was a Bitcoin miner and I didn't give a damn about grid reliability, or if I was even like a, a power trader, right? I'd really like to learn how to power trade, you know? I think that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> um, kind of like the, what the Enron guys did. Um, I think you could, you could uh, I'm sure that they're doing that today on the Texas grid. Um, but the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin miners love volatility in energy prices because that means they can become power traders. And they also are trying to spin this as goodwill for the Texas grid, goodwill for the residents of Texas. And again, they're trying to distract from the idea of what are we doing with Bitcoin mining? Um, is it sort of a waste, right? Is it not a waste? Uh, but they're trying to come up with reasons. It's almost like they criticize Web3, you know, as trying to, as, as already having a solution in search of a problem. And in my opinion, the Bitcoin miners, they're trying to spin Bitcoin mining as the solution for our, for our grid, uh, our electric grid problems, where there's this idea of that we, if our goal is to go renewable, right, then we're going to have more unreliable power and, and spiking prices. And we may even have blackouts. Uh, if that's our goal, the Bitcoin miners are saying, okay, that's a great goal because we can profit. We can come in there and pretend like we're the solution for this problem. But the problem is with these Bitcoiners and this idea in general is that what if this problem shouldn't exist? What if our goal isn't to go completely rene renewable because of costs, because we want to have cheap, reliable power? We don't want to be beholden to the weather or the sun or the wind. We want to have power when we want it. We don't want to structure a grid, right? This is my opinion. And probably if you were to survey people and explain to them the consequences of going completely renewable on a grid, high prices, unreliable sources of power. You can't always have power when you want it versus the fossil fuel, more reliable, uh, uh, less volatility in prices, less less chance of a blackout, right? I grew up in Texas and I when I was a kid, right? I never heard of blackouts. Yeah, we had a, a high storm once in a while um, here in central Texas, but you know, I the, you know, I wasn't paying attention to this stuff anyways, but I mean, I would have known if we were having electricity scares like this cuz um, you know, what happened in in California in like 1999 I was too young for that too, but um, I think I heard about Enron and I knew that they were doing something funny with, with, with energy trading. Uh, but, you know, I think that California went through at least a couple year period where they had consistent blackouts. I mean, even as a kid, you might notice that, but in Texas, we never had those issues. Um, 
And, you know, I found out that the grid went to this RTO, quote unquote, deregulated uh, zone, you know, after California did its experiment. And I don't think they did this until the early mid 2000s is when Texas might have shifted. Um, and now Texas, I think the Texas grid has the the, mo- the, the, the largest percentage of, of power generators on our grid are like renewable now. I think we're up to like almost 50% combined solar and wind. Almost 50%. Maybe, maybe it's lower than that. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> but, you know, these Bitcoin miners, if they are being honest, because a lot of them don't like this idea that we should structure our grid in a way that is unreliable and expensive and, and you know, structure it around renewables. They don't agree with that setup, right? And a lot of, but a lot of Bitcoiners don't question it, right? Or they, they believe, they believe their goal is to, yes, get rid of fossil fuels on the grid. To, to the, you know, the best, the best way possible, right? The, the, if you can get rid of fossil fuels on the grid for a lot of Bitcoiners, that's a great thing. Um, it also has the effect of lining their pockets if they're in the Bitcoin mining business. So, um, you know, I want to see like a real debate with these Bitcoiners. And I know that, that back to Meredith Angwin, I know she's been on like Marty Bent's podcast before. And um, I think I saw a tweet yesterday, her daughter, because she has the same name, might have interviewed somebody about electricity, you know, about um, Bitcoin mining. And now I'm remembering it. Now I want to go go read about it. Um, but uh, I think I even emailed Meredith at one point and asked her, what do you what do you think about the Bitcoin miners uh, coming onto the Texas grid and, and pretending like they're solving a problem of, of you know, demand response? Um and I say pretending because I think it's sort of a problem that doesn't need to be solved if we just change our framework and goal to say that, hey, most people in Texas want cheap, reliable power. And um, this idea that we need to just go to go to renewables if it's expensive, right, and it doesn't provide a good enough service for us as Texans, um, we don't want it, right? But this is being shoved down our throat, just like the Bitcoin People have have huge lobbyists. You know, the green lobby is even bigger, right? There's there's massive amounts of money in ESG, right, in renewable energy. And why is that? You know, renewable energy, they're kind of like peas in a pod with the Bitcoiners for a separate reason. And that's because they're both non-productive. They both require in renewable energy case tax subsidies to exist. If they had to compete in the free market, right? If they didn't have all these tax subsidies, they would have to up their auction bid prices on the grid at which they want to be paid for their generation. But because they get tax subsidies, they they don't make money just selling power to the grid, right? They make money through subsidies, through these things called RECs, which is in her book as well, which is this renewable um Think of it as a certificate, right? Energy certificate that you can sell to somebody else so that somebody else can say, oh yeah, I use I use renewable energy, um, but it's basically just a subsidy for renewables as well as all kinds of tax subsidies at the federal level, maybe. And then even there's even like state and city mandates that, that um, so much of the generation has to be renewable. So there's all of these rules that go into affecting um, generation. And um, um, so, so comparing this to the Bitcoin 
mining or Bitcoiners themselves um, to the extent that Bitcoiners uh, are chasing cheap power, which is always the case. Right? That's that's apparently, you know, I've heard from you know different experts. They say that they're always really looking for the cheapest sources of power. Um, that's where they can have an advantage. Um, also, a good regulatory environment, <laughs> uh, good 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 relationships with local politicians, etc. Um, and Texas is the place for that. Texas is the winner here. Uh, but but um, Bitcoin mining, mining, to the extent they want cheap sources of power, whenever they're buying power, they want renewables. And these renewables, again, are tax subsidized. So in a way, the average citizen who pays taxes is subsidizing cheap renewables, which Bitcoiners use. So indirectly, we are, you know, the taxpayers subsidizing Bitcoin mining, making it less expensive only because of your tax dollars, which is something that, you know, the Bitcoin, the Bitcoiners, I don't think they even think about this. Um, you know, to some extent, they might, it might pop in their head whenever they, they contemplate the word uh, stranded renewables and how Bitcoin helps, you know, make this, this resource that was created uh, that wasn't hooked up to the grid useful. The question that doesn't actually run through their heads is why was it built in the first place? The answer is federal production subsidies. <laughs> so, um, so again, they're just not using their entire brain. They're not thinking through everything. And, and in part, they're doing this because, of course, it's not to their advantage to think about how the taxpayer is subsidizing Bitcoin mining. Right. They don't want to think about that. That would that would really create some cognitive dissonance, especially if these Bitcoiners are still pretending. Right. Like they're libertarian type people who want this movement to be about voluntarism and not about force. Right. But as soon as you're stealing money from the taxpayers, your movement is no longer about force. But I, I, I do see this farce of renewables this ESG narrative, right? It's really gone way too far. Even if you're a green person, even if you're you're for, you know, maybe some more renewables. Um, and I'm I'm not against this stuff. I'm just I'm just against taxpayers having to, to subsidize it, right? I want I want you know people to work on solar or wind if they want to, but I don't want the government to subsidize it, and I don't want it to be a moral compass, you know, and demonize other sources, other gener gener uh, sources of generation of power generation. I don't like that at all, you know, but the Bitcoiners are very similar to uh, sort of this ESG, if you want to call it a scam, uh, in my opinion, uh, they're, they're peas in a pod. They kind of, they kind of do work together. And it's odd because you'd think that the environmental movement wouldn't like Bitcoiners, but there actually are some, some funny enough, there are some uh, environmentalist Bitcoiners out there who have bought into this idea <laughs> Or maybe and it's partly it is partly true um, that even Nick Carter admits it that um, that this 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 Bitcoin mining in a way uh, creates an incentive right for more renewable generation right on the Texas grid. So the more Bitcoin miners that move here, in theory, the more you know immediate demand there is for this power, um, and the Bitcoin miners love it right and they they love the green they love it for their pr because they can claim we're esg friendly they can go they can become now part of an etf that's esg only 
there's there's this predominant narrative by BlackRock's Larry Fink that you know uh, he won't invest in your company if you don't have a good ESG score. So there's there's reasons why the Bitcoiners want to have green sources of energy because they know they're kind of a waste, right? And they they know that um, well there's a big environmental lobby out there that they have to please, and to the extent that these ESG people just want to make money and don't really give a damn about the environment, which some of them definitely don't, right? They're just trying to line their own pockets. Some of them really do care. I, I, I'll give them that, but most of them, you know, they know it's a scam to the extent that they know that they can produce more renewable uh, solar plants. And then they have an immediate buyer in Bitcoin mining. Um, yeah. They're, they're, they probably love the Bitcoin miners because anything that encourages more, Overbuilt, overbuilding of renewables faster uh, to take advantage of all these tax credits, uh, they're all for. Um, so the Bitcoin miners, they really can make the most money if they push the green narrative, if they, if they, if they claim that they're going green, they look better right, as a company, they, can get, they have access to more, more, more public money, perhaps with the stock market, uh, there's you know, ESG. Um, I don't know if there's there's ESG restrictions now from the SEC, but uh, there's definitely you know private entities like BlackRock who who basically send you know they he sends letters to these companies saying you're not green enough, <laughs> right? So the Bitcoin miners definitely want to have access to capital. It's crucial for them to have access to the public you know credit markets, and they. Um, you know, because their only other source of revenue is to mine the Bitcoin and sell it, which a lot of them don't want to do. Uh, they want to hodl it. Um, they're in the big, they're in the business also of making the number go up. So, um, yeah. But I, I'm 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 going to watch this whole series of riot uh, riots um, documentary episodes. I'm curious to see how they pivot and if they even pivot to this concept of why they're mining Bitcoin, uh, why they think this is the future. Um, you know, maybe I'd love for them to explain how their mine, uh, miner is set up. I know that they give tours, so I would think it's not like a secret what they're doing. <laughs> um, so, and they're, you know, they've got lots of, lots of employees. I mean, why can't they just explain their, their process? I don't know, maybe they have before, I just haven't seen it, but I'm gonna be looking out for that. Um, the next and, and well, so one, one thing real quick, and then I'll go into this other longer topic, which is um, there's going to be a Web3 startup MOOC, I think, at Berkeley. Basically, it seems like how to launch a cryptocurrency. It's going to be, I guess, uh, a class, um, a real class. Uh, they have guest speakers that seem pretty, pretty well respected in the crypto universe. Um, and I, I put a link there. For people below, MOOCs used to be pretty popular about 10 years ago when they really started coming out um, frequently. I guess they still do them. I just haven't, I haven't run across any, any recently, but I really do love these, these open MOOCs because they tend to be, you know, from professors that uh, are truly um, special, right? That do these because nobody, if you have your pick of any professor, Right, you're to do a MOOC from. You're going to pick sort of the, the best ones. You're going to pick the ones. Um, what was this guy's name of Harvard? He did CS one CS one fifty or something. It's this intro to computer science class, 
and I took an intro to computer science class in college as well. But, um, but, but this one was far better, <laughs> uh, of course. So it was entertaining, right? Um, but there's been other classes I've taken, MOOC-wise, uh, one on net, computer networks. Really thought that one was fascinating. But, but anyways, yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking that out because I am interested in launching new cryptocurrencies and what goes into that. And um, this is, seems to be a class that's geared towards that. It seems to be catered towards people that want to start cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, uh, the, and they, you know, they have a legal section. They have um, an economic token section, maybe a game theory section. They have a traditional maybe finance section. I don't know. I, I briefly looked at it, um, but it looks cool. So next thing. Next thing, I saw this on CNBC TV this morning where they're trying to pass this bill that, that exempts Bitcoiners and crypto people from paying taxes on their cryptocurrency. And uh, this one apparently is a lot lower than the one that was shoved into the Loomis bill that got sort of uh, pushed out you know, in, in timeline. So they really want this this little nugget from the Loomis bill, if they're, if they're talking about doing a standalone version, you know, they call it bipartisan, of course, because they want to pretend like Bitcoin and crypto um, is for both sides of the aisle, <laughs> which is actually super funny because I didn't, I didn't know Democrats were especially keen on letting certain people not pay taxes, right? I always thought that they wanted people to pay uh, their fair share or pay more in taxes, especially wealthy people, let's be honest. Most people in Bitcoin and crypto have already made a lot of money, right? Or they're doing better than your average citizen, right? Who's just taking a salary at some job. They've speculated probably been around the industry and they've probably made some money. Yeah, there's been some people who've lost, but I'd argue that most people have gained quite a bit. Um, so what they're telling us is that the Democrats are okay with allowing Bitcoiners not to have to pay taxes. And, you know, the, 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 this is the guys, like sort of the con for this is that Bitcoin is a currency. Remember that they change language, like decentralization. They use these, they use language, they redefine terms, and they basically flat out lie, you know, when they call Bitcoin money, right? Or Bitcoin a currency, because it's not being used that way. Um, but they do this in order to pass favorable, um, favorable laws. In this case, they don't want to pay taxes. So, um, so that's, um, in my opinion, it's a farce. And it's interesting because they didn't really talk about this, this part of the Loomis bill at all. Um, they had to focus on other stuff when they were trying to explain the bill, but now they're trying to do a standalone uh, bill to um, to basically allow people not to have to pay taxes on, on Bitcoin or crypto. And the idea is that the people that want to use it for coffee, it's too difficult to figure out your taxes. And so there should be a loophole for them. Um, I don't want to give them a loophole at all, right? There should We should be closing loopholes in the tax code, not opening them up. But just how the Bitcoin people pretend to be you know, anti-government, they pretend to be worried, right, that the SEC is going to squash their, their movement. Um, they, pret they pretend that they're worried about other factions 
other trade groups using political power to squash them, they're doing the same thing, right? Um, they're doing the exact same thing that they're worried that other groups are going to do. They're lobbying government, right? They're bribing politicians like Loomis or whoever, Gillibrand of New York, uh, to me, right? That's on his way out, apparently, I think of Pennsylvania. Uh, they're bribing these people in order to pass legislation that benefits their industry. They're doing the exact same thing they accuse is wrong with our political system, right? So I don't want to hear any Bitcoiner ever say again that they don't like people using government, uh, you know, buying government power to impose their favored reg uh, legislation that helps their little industry because they're doing the exact same thing. Now, the real problem with Bitcoin, the reason why it's not being used in for buying goods and services is because it's too volatile. And, you know, I don't think that passing a legal, you know, legislation, right, allowing you to buy, buy coffee and stuff with Bitcoin is going to change that, right? I think they need to provide evidence for how that would change, right? But I don't think that they have the evidence, Um because if they, or, or let's let them pass this with a caveat that says, hey, if, if we pass this for a year, and if Bitcoin is now being adopted and you, it's being used in everyday transactions, uh, regardless of volatility, or maybe the volatility will settle down, they think this is true, like if more people are using it um, for a, as a currency, as a medium of exchange, maybe Bitcoin volatility will settle down. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case, right? But they think this is true. But let's do an experiment. If it, if the volatility settles down, if it's actually being used, maybe we'll let them have it. Now, I really am being super generous here. I don't really want to give them anything. Um, but uh, I don't know what this is. It's either a PR stunt. It's either, uh, I think they're just flexing their, their power and their might. And, you know, not having to pay taxes on stuff like coffee or whatever, I think that they want to do under $50 worth is a benefit for them. I mean, a lot of these people, um, they, they, they will go to a group meal, right? Steak dinner, and they'll, they'll want to have everybody just, you know, one person gets the check and the other people want to pay each other in Bitcoin, usually like lightning network. Well, um, you know, if they're being honest, they have to start, um, if they, if they give the Bitcoin to someone for paying for their meal, they have to keep a record of that, right? Cause that's considered a sale of an asset. And the other main problem I have with this concept of allowing them to have this tax exemption is I, I would allow them this tax exemption if everything were to be priced in Bitcoin, right? If they were to be spending Bitcoin at a steak dinner, and this steak was priced in Bitcoin, right? But it's never priced in Bitcoin. And actually Keith, 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 I think it's Keith Wiener, who's talking later tonight, debating Pierre Richard. Uh, he, I think he actually made this point or someone made this point, maybe Brett Scott, um, who wrote a book recently called Cloud Money, but, but it was a great point. Um, it's that, 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 Every time a merchant accepts Bitcoin, they're not really accepting Bitcoin. They're selling the Bitcoin for dollars. They're pricing their good or service in dollars. And then they're selling the Bitcoin right on the way 
to $4 and they're keeping the dollars. Hardly anybody is actually pricing a good or service in Bitcoin. Hardly anyone is actually accepting the Bitcoin minus the, the already rich Bitcoin bros who when they go to their steak dinners and someone pays for everything and then they say, just send me some lightning. Um, they don't give a damn about the, the volatility, right? Because it's small potatoes for them, right? Maybe they're already wealthy. They're going to steak dinners. They're already made a lot of money in Bitcoin. Let's be honest. So they don't give a damn if Bitcoin crashes 50% the next day, right? Or they, they were the one that, that's, that got the check. Everyone gave them Bitcoin through lightning and say the Bitcoin collapses 50%, you know, that'd be pretty drastic in a day, but let's say 10% even um, the next day. And they're still sitting on the Bitcoin. Like they wanted the Bitcoin perhaps, and it was a way for them to buy the Bitcoin was to pay for the dinner in dollars, get everyone to send them Bitcoin through lightning. Um, well, this person doesn't care, right? But most people do care. Like if, if, if a merchant is going to be pricing their goods and services in Bitcoin and accepting the Bitcoin and not selling the Bitcoin for dollars along the way, that merchant cares if the very next day Bitcoin drops uh, 10%. It's going to eat into their margins. They can't operate a business like that. They have to pay their employees, right? They need to eventually convert this to, to real dollars. You know, so I think the best argument to push back on this isn't necessarily, you know, creating unfairness where you're creating a loophole for the Bitcoiners not to have to pay taxes, which does actually really piss me off. But I think the best argument against it is to say, hey, look, no good or service is being priced in Bitcoin. It's being priced in dollars. And also hardly any merchant who says they accept Bitcoin, not only are they not pricing their good or service in dollars, sorry, in, in Bitcoin, but they're also not really accepting the Bitcoin long-term, right? They're using a BitPay server or something similar to cash out of the Bitcoin uh, along the way, and they're really just accepting dollars. So Bitcoin isn't being used as a currency. If anything, it's just being used as a technology, a way to transfer uh, fiat currency, right? But Bitcoin in no way is actually being used as a currency. And if it's not being used as a currency, it does not deserve this loop, this tax loophole, right? It doesn't deserve it. Um, are you going to give a, a tax loophole to any asset? Because this, you know, one of these guys, Brett Scott or Keith Weiner, also mentioned, you know, basically what you're doing when you when you hand over Bitcoin and you're, you're quote unquote paying with the Bitcoin, you're basically just bartering, right? You're bartering an asset called Bitcoin that has a price and it has a volatile price most of the time where you, you, the merchant is decided to accept this as a barter. But what they really don't want, what they really want is the dollars. What they really care about is the dollars because they price their good or service in dollars. They accept Bitcoin, but then they convert it immediately uh, to dollars. And um, I'm not saying that every single merchant does this. Yeah, you can find the really rich ones that basically exist to be an example for, oh, yeah, we, we accept Bitcoin. Look at us. These people aren't operating real businesses because it's subsidized by other Bitcoiners, 